Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. There are a million apps out there, but how many of them deliver alcohol? And how many of those have a sweet bear logo? Exactly. Which is why you should try Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. Let's see your flashlight app do that. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. What do you love about music? To begin with? <laughs> Everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Kotz. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, we're going to talk about the relationship between two of life's greatest pleasures, food and music. We welcome chef, author, and punk rocker Anthony Bourdain. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. Big news this week in the music world and the world at large, really. A, a world celebrity, Michael Jackson, died at the age of 50, collapsed in his home in Los Angeles, lapsed into a coma, never recovered. Shocking news, Jim, in many ways because no one really saw it coming. Only two days before this, I had spoken to his publicist about coming out to London to cover the opening of what was to be a major comeback by Michael Jackson. He had been preparing night and day for a 50-date string of shows in London, which was to launch his uh, musical comeback. For, for 20 years, the discussion surrounding Michael Jackson had been about a lot of issues that had nothing to do with music. Right. And this was Jackson's attempt to get himself back in the limelight for all the right reasons. Whether it was going to happen or not, nobody knew. The first four gigs of that engagement were canceled, and the English bookmakers were laying bets that the whole thing was going to go down the tubes. But I was assured that July 13th was indeed going to be the opening date. The promise was that it was going to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, shows ever staged. I mean, consider this. He'd sold out 50 dates at the London O2 Arena in advance. So there mm -hmm. was still an incredible amount of interest. And I, I think the only way to, to look at it is to remember that back in the early days, Michael Jackson did matter for reasons other than child molestation scandals. Well, this is the problem uh, in assessing what has to be one of the most complicated legacies in the history of popular music. We live very close to Gary. Those belching industrial smokestacks. Yep. It is a sad and difficult place to grow up and to come from there and go to the top of the charts around the world the way he did. 
I think, you know, it was always there in his music, this battle of having not had a childhood, famously this Peter Pan complex, and trying to find his identity, having grown up his entire life in the spotlight with his brothers in the Jackson 5, and then as a very young man, barely out of his teens, starting his solo career. It's a 73 song called With a Child's Heart that had been written by Stevie Wonder, but which he did on one of his first solo records, Music and Me, that I think, you know, it's all there when you hear him singing about, you know, trying to live like a child uh, through life. With a child's heart Go face the worries of the day With a child's heart Turn each problem into play But he did forge a heck of a solo career, and he found a measure of independence away from his family. In fact, you know, Thriller is considered the best-selling album of all time. Back before SoundScan, numbers were dubious. Yeah. Uh, he might have sold anywhere between 40 million and 110 million copies of that album worldwide, but never his best work. It's a blockbuster album, there's no doubt about it. It will be the one album that everybody remembers him by. But you're right, Jim, I think you have to dial it back about three years to find Michael Jackson at his peak. Before the sense of world conquest started creeping into his uh, musical sensibility, he had met the producer Quincy Jones on the set of The Wiz, and, and Jones offered to work with him. And, of course, Jackson was flattered because here's a guy who had grown up with Ray Charles, was one of the great jazz and R&B producers of all time, and saying, you know, I see something in this kid. I want to help him grow into a man, really, because yeah. he, he was this child star. And, and, frankly, the first few Jackson solo records were not all that distinguished. So at the age of 20, he was recording this off-the-wall record, and, and the maturity was there. And I think Jones really helped him get there. One of the things he did introduce to the Jackson sound was this sense of timelessness and swing, uh, this jazz fluidity and grace at the height of this disco era. Remember, this record comes out in 1979. Right. You know, in order to fit in, you got to make dance floor music. And Michael Jackson did make a great dance floor record, but it had a sense of swing to it that I think allowed it to transcend that era. Well, and it wasn't confined to disco. You know, there were there was soul, there was funk, there yep. was pop, there was rock in that record. And at the age of 20, making Off the Wall, he has Stevie Wonder coming in to collaborate with him and Paul McCartney, who both of these giant talents obviously considered this kid a peer. They, they knew they were getting something really good here, and it wasn't just from the Jackson 5 legacy. It was the fact that he was working with Jones, a respected figure in the music business. And look at it today. People like Justin Timberlake, Neo, Chris Brown, Usher, Usher. You know that they studied this album front to back. Off the Wall was really the Michael Jackson record, and a song like Rock With You, I think, really exemplifies what they were going for on that particular record. But I think it was also the beginning of the end in that era, Jim. He made two fantastic records, Off the Wall and Thriller. But with Thriller, a self-consciousness started to come in that I saw happening in the Hollywood movies a few years earlier with, you know, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were making these mega blockbuster kind of movies, and they sort of killed that art house adult Hollywood movie that had been the coin of the realm in the late 60s, early 70s, and turned it into mass entertainment. And in the same way, I think Michael Jackson took R&B and, and turned it into this mass entertainment where your five-year-old nephew and your grandma could all agree on something, and it yeah. was Michael Jackson. And I think that started to seep into his music, and I think he became a slave to the marketplace instead of the music after that, and it was really never the same for him. Absolutely, Greg. I mean, the man literally and figuratively melted down in full view of the entire world with that weird plastic surgery remaking himself and crawling back into childhood with his Neverland ranch, you know, and the pet chimp, all that stuff you could kind of say, well, it's just eccentricity. But there were two very troubling run-ins with the law. In the mid-90s, he paid $20 million to the family of a 13-year-old boy who had accused him of uh, sexual abuse. And again, a decade later, he was a arrested and indicted on charges of sex with another minor. He was acquitted of those charges in 2005, has to be said. But so many disturbing things came out in the court case that people in the music world were really divided whether anybody would ever be able to listen to his music again. 
on the last two albums he made during the last 18 years of his career, he kept protesting, you know, don't judge me and, and go beyond the tabloid. The tabloids are trying to crucify me, he kept saying, just like they crucified the Lord. <laughs> but at the same time, he kept begging for forgiveness for these unnamed sins and, you know, singing about the lost children lost in the woods in really creepy terms. If anybody hasn't listened to those last two albums, and many people didn't, they were commercial and critical failures. There's a lot of weird psychoanalysis on there and a lot of weird confessionals stuff. And and Jackson himself couldn't get beyond that in his music. I don't think it's fair to say the media dogged him. I think he kept bringing it up. It seemed to have literally been the obstacle he couldn't move beyond. I agree with you, Jim. It's clearly a career in two parts. There's the music, and then there's this incredibly scandalous private life uh, that obscured it in the last 25 years. So it's a sad end. Michael Jackson dead at the age of 50. You're listening to Sound Opinions. Greg, on a more upbeat note, that is a song called Fish and Chips by Funkadelic. You know, the number of great songs in rock and roll about food is staggering. <laughs> I found a list on the on the web of 500, and then I kept thinking on my own. I came up with another two dozen that weren't even on that list. Easy. We could do this show for about 78 hours. Easy. And we still wouldn't even get to all the great songs about food. Why is this? Anthony Bourdain, author of the best-selling Kitchen Confidential and a host on the Travel Channel, he says there's three great pleasures in life. Music, food, and sex. And they are all inextricably <laughs> intertwined. Absolutely. Bourdain uh, got his start as a chef uh, right around the time of that CBGB's punkier explosion in, in late 70s New York. He was hanging out with the members of the New York Dolls and the Ramones and the Dead Boys and Blondie. He was cooking food for these guys and going yeah. to see them you know, play shows at CBGB. So he has a wonderful perspective on it. It was recently chronicled in an article in Spin Magazine. And when Anthony was in town recently doing a book tour, we had him in for an interview. We are here with Anthony Bourdain, chef, raconteur, <laughs> writer, one of my heroes. Greg, I am more excited now than I think anybody since John Cale came and sat in that seat. I have to say, Tony, wow, I'm totally flattered. I as love a New John Yorker, Kale. you know what yeah. that means. Yes. <laughs> You've been talking about this for weeks, Jim. I like, have. Like a kid at Christmas, Anthony Bourdain is here. Well, you know I like food. I mean, people who, who've seen the picture <laughs> know that I like food, uh, probably more than you. And I was twisting your arm and telling you why. And there's one paragraph here from Tony's book, which is called The Nasty Bits, a collection of magazine pieces, essentially, mm -hmm. yep. which says it all. This is why this show is going to be so much fun, I, if I may. Or maybe, no, let's have you do it. Oh, my God. I don't think I can read it without my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. If, it's if food can lead to sex and if music can lead to sex, if the three have often been seen in each other's company... There's a direct connection between food and music. Does the music that chefs listen to while they cook and in their off hours when they're free to roam like the savage, unrestrained beasts we know them to be, does it lead in some direct way to culinary creativity? Do chefs see uh, music and the places and lifestyle surrounding music as inspiration or merely as release? After years of personal introspection and research and close questioning of some of the country's more accomplished chefs, I arrived at some conclusions. There you go. <laughs> Managed to slog through that. <laughs> well, when I read uh, you know, the book that really put you on the map, Kitchen Confidential, it, it struck me that, I mean, you describe a modern-day pirate kind of lifestyle among chefs in the kitchens, uh, both in the, in the big four-star, you know, three-star uh, mm. restaurants of the world and, and line cooks at the local Greasy Spoon. Well, and it's kind of like what rockers have always been. Well, there's a lot of overlap, I think, in, in you know, the talent pool. You know, the, the kitchen has always been sort of a refuge for misfits, uh, marginal characters who kind of instinctively understand that the nine-to-five world is not for them. I think what's been missed as well is that the, our hours coincide. I mean, certainly when mm -hmm. I came up in the business in the mid, early and mid-70s, you know, musicians like to hang out in bars. We have a bar in our restaurant. You know, musicians <laughs> get off work two in the morning. We get off two in the morning. So it wasn't a, it wasn't really a, a stretch. You know, musicians like free food. We like you know to get into concerts for free. <laughs> so there was a lot of overlap there. What about that interest in music? I mean, that piece you wrote in Spin Magazine about uh, you know the, that scene back mm -hmm. then. You were intimately involved, and it seemed like. You were going beyond the surface level music. So obviously you'd been into music for a while as well. Well, my father worked for Columbia Records uh, when I was a kid. And, you know, so I was on sample service early on. You know, my dad would come home. Though he worked in the, the masterwork, Columbia Masterwork Division, classical music division. He'd come home, you know, when I was a little kid with 
you know, here, Tony, this is, you know, Sergeant Peppers. Everybody at the office in the A&R department says, you know, this is the greatest record ever. You should listen to it, you know. I, I had to remind him of this years later as, don't blame me for the drugs, Dad. You gave me that <laughs> album, you know. <laughs> so that was, you know, I grew up in a musical family where music was important and it was something we noticed and where I tended to be aware of the best albums, the best records of the time as, you know, often before they were released. Mm-hmm. So after getting uh, off work in the kitchen, mm-hmm. you'd be hanging in the early 70s with the Ramones, with, you know, the members of the New York punk scene, the Dead Boys. You'd see the, I'd see the Dead Boys around. I, I mean, I was a big Richard Hell and the Voidoids fan. Mm-hmm. You know, I got all, I got the vapors when Richard Richard Hell would come in, uh, you know, for a glass of bourbon and his scrambled eggs in the morning. You know, that was a big deal to me. Yeah. Late last night, I went for And what was special about that, I guess, is that no one else knew who they were. I mean, the punk mm-hmm. thing was, this was music you never heard on the radio and was not referred to in any magazine and was basically invisible and inaudible to everyone for everywhere for the, for the most part for quite some time. So it was special, you know. You know, you mentioned the bourbon and the eggs in the morning, you know, for, <laughs> for Robert Quine. I mean, what, what would these guys eat? I mean, what, you know, were they as interested in food as you were in music? I think they were, they were just starving. I mean, yeah. they didn't eat enough. Uh, you know, a lot of that money went to dope. Food was sort of a secondary consideration. I mean, if you look at how a lot of those guys were living, it was pretty close to the margins. And, of course, they're not making any money. You know, maybe their girlfriends are making money, uh, you know, stripping or dancing or whatever, uh, which was a popular way to make a living at the time. So would you slide them a meal occasionally? Or yeah, I, like that? I, I mean, I remember we, I was a big Johnny Thunders fan, uh, and we managed to network a free meal for him. You know, we had him come in and eat at the restaurant. He came in all dressed up, you know, little tie, little little tuxedo jacket, <laughs> and terrified. That's the thing that struck me. He was really intimidated. I, he, he, like he'd never eaten in a fine dining situation before. And I remember when, it, when he was offered, like, would you like, you know, red or white? You know, he, he just had them both mixed in a glass. <laughs> and, you know, it was like a little kid. And it was, it was very, you know, sweet. Yeah, that's cool. You make the point philosophically that uh, that music can affect what's going on in your kitchen. You have played punk rock at different times, but now there are different soundtracks. Can you talk a little bit about about how the the stuff that none of us hear or see because we know we're sitting out mm-hmm. at the table, right? What's going on in the kitchens uh, where you have worked and like right. to work, and what's the soundtrack? Well, a lot of chefs now it's you know total silence during the service period. You know, there, there's going to be no music at all. But, you know, a mid-range joint like mine, uh, chances are, you know, when I was working in the kitchen every day, during prep, I, I liked soundtrack to Superfly, Curtis Mayfield, early sort of pre, <laughs> pre-disco funk, maybe a little George Clinton, you know, that kind of sound. Establishing um, a groove. Establishing a groove. During the service period, you know, you're kind of fighting for, for music, for DJ position, or at least you're trying to accommodate a lot of different tastes. You know, maybe a little punk, you know, Dead Boys early on. But then I got to kind of swap for some, you know, Mexican thrash metal or Mexican pop songs mm-hmm. and stuff like that with the majority of my kitchen or, of course, Mexican. You know, when I'm getting out of the kitchen, then then you get into, you know, more more adrenaline-based stuff, I guess. You know, then it's uh, definitely Ramones all the way. Because you got to get through the end of the night. Or, you know, classic stuff. Give, give you that one more shot of adrenaline to repel you out into the night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> the day's just beginning. the but but do you think that the, what the cooks are listening to can be tasted in the end result? I mean, that's a philosophical. Heavy I know question. I know some chefs who definitely the more, the more creative and who get flavors from from sound. You know, they get they actually get inspired creatively by listening to to music. I'm not like that. I mm. I was always first of all I wasn't that creative a chef. I was more of a workhorse journeyman guy. But most chefs I think use music for release. You know, afterwards it could kind of you're looking for a, a pleasurable oblivion or to take you out and away from from the kind of coal mine situation you've been in. 
Mm. So I don't know what that's like. You know, I, I'm not inspired to cook by music. I like to cook to music. If I'm alone in my kitchen, you know, just cooking for a few friends, that's different. Then I'm, that's a whole different kind of group. I could be going, you know, old anywhere from Dean Martin. Mm. You know, I like old, like uh, cheesy British uh, gangster film soundtracks. Like, mm-hmm. get, I mean, very into the Get Carter soundtrack now in a big way. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with more of our discussion with Anthony Bourdain. And later, Jim and I will play the best songs inspired by food. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We've been playing our discussion with chef, author, and rock fan Anthony Bourdain. Earlier, we spoke with Tony about cooking to music, but I also wanted to ask him about eating to music. What do you play when you have people over for dinner? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, what complements this meal? And so you have six guests over, and you're cooking dinner for them. What do you put on? Does it depend on what you're serving? Does it depend yeah. on who they are? Definitely, I think um, Serge Gainsbourg is good for French. You know, maybe Serge Gainsbourg with uh, with uh, Brigitte Bardot, that yeah, wonderful yeah, yeah. single. Yeah. You know, something that's evocative of France, if, if that's what you're doing with the food. And Italy, you know, definitely you're falling into that kind of, you know, Connie Francis. You know, yeah. <laughs> you're talking uh, Dean Martin. So you're going to go old school um, or you're going to stick you know, with, I'm like, the old pizza joint kind of sound. I don't want to hear Portishead. And, you know, I don't want uh. dining lounge music <laughs> in the background. You know, that's so ubiquitous. Yeah. I, I'm not serving chocolate martinis. Why should I play chocolate martini music, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not sort of an ambient thing. It's not like you don't want this sort of sifting in the background where people can sort of talk over it. See, I've always gone that direction. Because yeah. Eric Satie said that ambient music is music that mingles with the knives and forks at dinner. Mm-hmm. So I can't play Satie. That's too weird. But I, but I always I, – I opt out with Eno. Because, you, know, yeah. you know, my in-laws won't object to Eno. Somebody hipper knows that it's Eno. You know, I'll put on the, you know, for the hipper crowd, I'll put on McCoy Tyner. For, mm-hmm. like, the little less hip crowd, George Winston. You know, kind of solo piano. Mm-hmm. You don't want anything too interfering with, you know, you don't want anybody to, you know, harsh their mellow, whatever it is. So, while so eating, metal know? machine music would be out, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, you know. It's you know, <laughs> probably music that could, could interfere with digestion, <laughs> physically. And friendships. Yeah, That's right. Asking. And the same thing for setting the mood in a restaurant. I'd love to hear the amazing soundtrack that's going on while you're cooking in the back. But what about the folks out front eating? What do you, what do you set for them musically? In, I mean, innocuous. You know, it's it's if in my restaurant, it's like Edith Piaf and you know French chanteurs and you know stuff like that. I do like you know kind of early early '60s French pop sometimes. 
but really innocuous. So you don't want to you don't want to distract from the meal. I mean, that's true at home as well. You don't mm-hmm. want people to stop the conversation dead to admire what a you know forward thinking genius you were when you bought the album. <laughs> you know, that's just it's like people who used to you know stand up and show you that they could recite every line from a Firesign Theater or a Frank Zappa album. You know, right. there's something a little creepy about that. It's too you know? much. It's yeah, too it's much. too much. <laughs> We are talking to Tony Bourdain, who is a, a great writer. You need to own Kitchen Confidential, one of the greatest memoirs I've ever read. I like the Nasty Bits, great collection of some of your shorter pieces. You have this great new book, No Reservations, and of course uh, a TV show <laughs> where you get to go around the world. Let's talk about that. Are you? Uh, you make the point several times, self-effacingly, that you're slowing down. The hell-raising Tony Bourdain of old, who would uh, stay out drinking all night and listen to punk rock after working a 14-hour shift in the kitchen. You're not that anymore. But when you go all over the world, are you getting to hear music? Yeah, a little bit. Um, we've been kind of looking for musicians as well as chefs to show me around as I go to various places. So. Uh, hung out with Marky Ramone for the Cleveland show. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm getting weird emails from Ted Nugent, who I guess it makes uh, a weird kind of sense. You know, I like to, you he know, might expect you to go I like out to kill, kill smaller, stupider gonna... things and eat them. And yeah. so does he. <laughs> <laughs> you're not usually big on killing what you're going to cook. No, but but I mean, you know, it's you know part of the cycle of life, death and regeneration. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, you, you're, you're not you're not a purist. That's what I. I like about your sensibilities. Like, you're just as comfortable eating a bad hot dog in a cool bar uh, on, on the Lower East Side as you are in a four-star French restaurant. Often more so. I and, and I was going to say, is that, you know, I mean, you, you've traveled in these worlds where you, you're around a lot of chefs. I mean, do most chefs share that, share that sort of sensibility where they can appreciate food at those kind of levels? Or are, there, are they snobs? I, I think most chefs after work want a good hot dog or something good, local, authentic, and totally without pretense. And, of course, just like there are musicians, musicians, you know, people that, that you know, after a musician performs, they want to go see. There are chefs, chefs who, who, who tend to simplify things and, you know, cook pretty f- straightforward stuff. Mm-hmm. I got to ask you about, okay, two artists that you have said you will never countenance anywhere, anytime, <laughs> in any restaurant <laughs> Not that you ever step right. foot in. No Billy Joel, no Grateful Dead. Yeah. I am the entertainer. And I know just where I stand Another serenader And another long-haired band uh, Well, Billy Joel is actually, you know, I've said no no Billy Joel is allowed in my kitchen. Uh, you know, under, you're fired if you've seen Visibly Enjoying uh, Billy Joel. He has slipped into my kitchen on numerous occasions and sent me pictures of himself oh with God. signs saying, I guess you do let Billy Joel in your kitchen. I've had dinner with him. And as I said to him, I just hate your music, man. I believe you're absolutely – I believe you're really talented. I, I mean, I, I it's, it, clearly you are. I just really hate that melodic kind of stuff. And he hasn't taken a swing at you? No, no. He was very cool. He, he's a good eater. Because we've both gotten the nasty phone calls really? from Joel when we've dared to review him. He's a competitive he, guy. He was a very, very good guy with a good sense of humor to me. I, you know, uh, yeah. I've been this making Billy Joel jokes for a long this time. Is a I just, to you know, so he's a lot of my kitchen anytime, just not, not yeah. his music. Well, our favorite uh, rock star chef, by by all means, is Tony Bourdain. Before you leave here, we have to thank you so much for coming by Sound Opinions. We do this thing with only with guests we really, really like, right? Where we, because uh, Greg and I uh, take turns putting a quarter of the Desert Island Jukebox, a track that we can't live without, at least mm-hmm. at this particular time and place. So give us a tune and set it up. One one tune? For today. Well, for today, for this moment. For today. Not the one to define you of all time. <laughs> Down on the street by the Stooges off Funhouse. Oh, and why? It just if it, when things are bad, when I'm depressed, when I feel that life has been unfair, uh, that is my go-to song to feel okay about being in a really dark place. <laughs> <laughs> Can't beat that, man. I like that. If the Stooges were a meal, what would they be? <laughs> wow, <laughs> steak tartare. Yeah, I am run ready. Thank you very much. Tony. My pleasure.
You are listening to Sound Opinions. You just heard our discussion with chef, author, and music enthusiast Anthony Bourdain. But Bourdain isn't the only foodie with a passion for music. We're going to now hear from chefs from around the country about their connection between the pleasure of music and the pleasure of food. I'm Wesley Genovard, the chef to cuisine at Tegu Station. I, I believe that dining is sort of one of those experiences that, that, that can be elevated with music. I mean, it's just a, it's just a, it's a sort of a sensual thing. You know I mean, it's something you hear, it makes you feel something. Same thing as you, when you eat, you know what I mean? If you eat something that just sort of makes you feel good and you're happy, you know, music's going to just make it that much better. Basically, when we think of food, like we think of, you know, textures, flavors, aromas, everything. So, so I mean, it is building. So, so like, you know, if you have something that's really salty, you might want to add something like a little bit acidic, sweet. I guess it is sort of like composing a dish. I mean, you just want a nice balance of wide-ranging flavors and textures and stuff. It is kind of like, like a rock and roll lifestyle, you know what I mean? It's like you, you live for this. We get here at 11, don't leave till 2. And it's not because you have to, it's because we love it. My name is Doug Sohn. I'm the owner of Hot Dogs, the sausage superstore in the Avondale neighborhood in Chicago. Hey, thank you. Can I get for you? I'm just do a hot dog with a grilled um, mustard and caramel onions and pork Grilled dog, right? Yes. You got it. Char dog, please. You're, you're pretty much guaranteed to hear the stuff that, you know, I listened to during my, my formative musical years, which was the late 70s, early 80s. So it's a lot of Buzzcocks, a lot of Clash, Devo, anything from that era. I wouldn't say directly like a particular music affecting a particular cooking ability, but it really does affect your soul, and that comes out whatever your endeavor is. The energy behind a great restaurant is the same energy that's behind a great song. I mean, it, it is a singular vision that everything sort of comes together, and when it clicks, there's no doubt that you can feel it, you know, in your person that this is right. Coming up with the sausages, coming up with the, the condiments and the menu, piece of cake. Deciding what I want to listen to every day, the hardest decision I have to make at this point. Hi, I'm Brenda Langton from Cafe Brenda and Spoon River Restaurants in Minneapolis. Music and food go together hand in hand. Um, When I think about them, holidays are connected. Whenever you have a nice holiday, you want to cook something really delicious. Weddings, funerals, festivals, any number of things going back to the harvests. It's sort of like cooks compose dishes like a musician would compose a piece. In the kitchen, I sort of let my chefs decide what they want to listen to. Oftentimes, it's not the kind of music I would like to listen to. My staff are quite a few years younger than me, so they tend to like some of the newer rock and roll that I don't care for, and now also a lot of the older rock and roll that I've been through, and and I've moved on. I don't find it very peaceful to cook by, and again, the energy of a kitchen is important to what goes into the food. My name is Craig Serbasic, and I own a couple of restaurants, a Crow Restaurant here in Seattle and also Betty Restaurant. I'm a huge music fan. There is a rhythm, I guess, and, and I have a rhythm in, in, as I'm cooking. I, I maintain a rhythm, and, and I think it's the same with a musician. It seems like both uh, musicians and restaurant workers are a little uh, crazy. I mean, I think food lovers know exactly what to expect and what they're looking for, as, as would a music lover. You know, it's an art, and I think a lover of the art is is probably going to love both music and food. It's an art, and and we all enjoy it. My name is Graham Elliott Bowles. I'm the chef of Avenues at the Peninsula Chicago. I think music is the most important thing in my life. You know, I used to sing and play guitar in a band, and I was going to do that as a means of, of meager living and then realize that to live in the van and kind of drive town to town and sell merch and make enough money to just get gas for the next show wasn't a great long-term plan. And I thought that this was such a great, beautiful form of expression as well with cooking. And uh, I decided to pursue this as the career and have music be the hobby. 
as a musician, you want to get your voice across. You have some kind of message that you want people to, to see and understand. And I think it, it's the same thing in cooking. Like Sonic Youth playing their guitars on like the grates of the air conditioner. You know, yeah, it's, it's artistic, but I don't want to hear that all day. And it's the same thing of me serving some really esoteric ingredient, turn it into a ice cream and shave it over the tip. You know, it's like, wow, that's kind of creative and cool, but I would never order that, like a big bowl of it. So how can you almost make your cuisine more pop-like, have it be fun and whimsical and creative, but still be able to, to bring along all those people that you originally had. This mentality that less is more, which I'm a big fan of. The idea is if I give you foie gras and truffles and caviar and all these other kind of things, I'm sure you'll make something delicious, but what can you do with a carrot? What if I forced you to only use carrots, onions, and celery, which is mirepoix, the basis of, you know, all cooking, and told you to come up with, you know, 30 dishes based on these three things. That, to me, is real creativity. And I read a quote that really hammered that home, which was by uh, Jack White, saying, you can have all these instruments and all the, you know, you can have your background singers and all that kind of stuff, but uh, it's when you only have drums and a guitar and vocals, it forces you to start seeing things differently and being more creative. I really like that mentality and bring it into the kitchen. Greg, some folks after our own heart. Lovers of music, lovers of food. Wesley Genovart at Dagustation in New York. Brenda Langton at Cafe Brenda in Minneapolis. Craig Servasic at Crow in Seattle. And Doug Sohn at Hot Dogs and Graham Elliott Bowles at Avenues here in Chicago. Greg, I'm starving. I'm getting hungry. Uh, we're going to have to <laughs> wait to eat, but you're going to give us some music. We're going to go back and forth here on some of our choices for the best rock songs ever about food. So many choices, so little time, Jim. But, uh, you know, food is an incredible insight into the human soul. You know, what you eat is what you are, right? Yeah. And I think these songs kind of summarize that feeling. When I thought about what is a song, what is a great song about food that gives us a character, paints a character through the kind of food they eat? One of the songs I thought of was Tony Joe White's Polk Salad Annie. Wow. <laughs> oh, you're blowing my mind there. Oh, my God. Swamp Rock. I mean, the guy was a uh, Louisiana-born singer-songwriter, uh, came up in the late 60s. He actually had a huge hit with this song. But the mood, the atmosphere of the song, it paints an incredible picture of these lower-class people from uh, the South that he grew up around. And, and, it's, and in many ways, it's sort of a humorous and scathing portrait, but also a loving one because the central character is clearly a person that he admires. And, and she, every day, would pick polk salad, this, this turnip that grows in the South, and, and serve it up for her family, her somewhat dysfunctional family. Hmm. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's a funny song. It's an insightful song. Have you ever eaten this and, stuff? No, I have no idea what it is. I don't All even right. know if it exists. But, man, it made me think about what a, an incredible picture he's drawing of these people through the food they eat. It's Polk Salad Annie from Tony Joe White on Sound Opinions. Some of y'all never been down south too much. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this so that you understand what I'm talking about. Down there we have a plant that grows out in the woods and the fields. Looks something like a turnip green. Everybody calls it Polk Salad. Polk Salad. Used to know a girl lived down there and she'd go out in the evenings and pick her a mess of it. Carry it home and cook it for supper. Cause that's about all they had to eat. They did all right. I'm down in Louisiana where the alligators grow so mean. The little dog girl that I swear to the world made the alligators look tame. Poke salad in it. Everybody said it was a shame Cause her mama wasn't working on a chain gang A mean vicious woman <clears throat> Every day for supper time She'd go down by the truck patch And pick her mess of poke salad Tony Joe Williams, Polk Salad Annie. 
Greg, in a similar vein for one of my choices about the great rock song about food, you know, you were talking about how that tune encapsulated this woman. The soul of the woman was was linked to the food and uh, said everything you needed to know about her. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, and this is a track I've played before. It's one of the great lead-off album tracks of all time, Cinnamon Girl by Neil Young, also falls into that category. The idea that this spice described this girl. I was talking about this song with my wife, who is a brunette. She heard it as a song about a redhead, and I never thought of it in those terms. I thought that the spice, the cinnamon, encapsulated the soul of this girl. She was enticing. She was exotic. She was sexy. She was a little fiery. And, uh, well, Neil said it himself. In the liner notes to Decade, he wrote... I wrote this for a city girl on peeling pavement, coming at me through Phil Oak's eyes playing finger cymbals. <laughs> it was hard to explain to my wife. What else needs to be said? Cinnamon Girl on Sound Opinions. Neil Young's incredible Cinnamon Girl from his first solo album. Greg, you got another great rock song about food? Jim, I do have another choice for a great song that connects music and food. In the 80s, uh, Prince was sort of typecast as this Lothario figure who was always lusting after women. It was, uh, he was always objectifying them, and he saw them as good for only one thing, and I think that is wrong, wrong, wrong. He lo- wrote a lot of great songs about women that were empathetic and uh, sensitive in, in a way that a few other songwriters ever reached. I think one of the best examples of this is Starfish and Coffee. You know, he's talking about being a school kid and a normal school kid of all things. Can you imagine Prince as a normal school kid? <laughs> I don't know. I can't. But compared to Cynthia Rose, for whom he wrote this song, he is. Cynthia Rose is who he wanted to be. She embodied everything that Prince wanted to be in this song. She was a little eccentric, a little strange, but a beautiful person who allowed her eccentricities to flow. And the reason he knew that is by looking in her lunchbox and looking what she wanted to eat. Starfish and coffee, maple syrup and jam, butterscotch clouds, a tangerine, and a side order of ham. And he goes, wow, wow, my mind's blown. (laughs) Who is this person? I need to know her better. From Prince, Starfish and Coffee on Sound Opinion. It was 7.45 on the line to put to teacher Miss Kathleen. First was Kevin, then came Lucy, third in line was me. All of us were ordinary compared to Cynthia Rose. She always stood at the back of the line, a smile beneath her nose. Favorite number was 20, and every single day. If you ask her what you had for breakfast, this is what she'd say. Fish and coffee, maple syrup and jam, butterscotch clouds and a tangerine, the side on a ham. If you set your mind free, baby, maybe you understand. Starfish and coffee, maple syrup and jam. Cynthia wore the prettiest dress with different color socks. Sometimes I wonder if the mates were in her lunchbox. Lucy cried, almost died. You know what we 
Starfish and Coffee from Prince, a great song that connects music and food. If you'd like to suggest a song or a show idea or make a comment about anything we talk about on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800, or email interact at soundopinions.org. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with more great songs about food. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Jim and I are going to continue playing some of our favorite songs about food, and it is Jim's turn. Jim, what do you got? I tell you, Greg, there's so many ways we could look at this. We could do great songs. We could do songs about our favorite food. When it's a song about a food that we love more than any other, and it's a great song, I mean, that's about as good as it gets, right? I love ice cream. You know, I'm always on a diet, but when I fall off, what I do is, you know, the pint of Ben and Jerry's. You know, I'm sorry. That's that's my biggest vice. This is, I think, the best song ever about ice cream and one of the greatest songs by this artist. A man who once said, there are 40 people in this world and five of them are hamburgers. But this was a song about dessert. Ice Cream for Crow is the lead track on Captain Beefheart's 1982 album of that name. Beefheart, I think, did more than any other artist in rock history to bring the blues into outer space. I think that the sonic innovations of this guy in the late 60s, 70s, and early 80s still haven't been matched. I mean, you know, as radical a reinvention of the jazz sound that bebop was, that's what Beefheart did to blues. And this song, well, like all the rest of his songs, you know, the lyrics are sort of Dadaist and surreal. Ice Cream for Crow, Sun Cream by Day, Ice Cream by Night. I don't know what it's about, but he keeps saying it. He just keeps saying ice cream, and I want some. Here it is on Sound Opinions. It's so hot. Looks like you have three beats cold. The moon's so full. Wah! And all the pumpkin. You know there's something. The moon was a stone's throw. Stop the show. I need to say hello. To the cold, like the fire piano. The moon showed up and it started the show. Tonight there'll be ice cream, ice cream for crow, ice cream by night, sun cream by day.
Ice Cream for Crow from Captain Beefheart, uh, a great song linking music and food from Jim DeRogatis. We've got time for one more, Jim, and uh, I'm going to go with a Van Morrison song written at a time when Van, Dublin native, one of the most famous Irishmen in the world, mm. but he had moved to the United States by, by the time this record was recorded, and he was falling in love with America. He was falling in love with a woman, Janet Planet, who was pictured on the cover of this record, <laughs> and he wrote a song about a very particular type of food grown in the United States. Uh, the namesake for this album is a varietal honey that was produced from the flowers of the Tupelo tree in southeastern United States. So he was like mm-hmm. really getting into this idea of getting back to nature and finding America, discovering America, and falling in love. And, and all those elements come together on this song called Tupelo Honey from Van Morrison on Sound Opinions. You can take all the tea in China Put it in a big brown bag for me Sail right round all the seven oceans Drop it straight into the deep blue sea She's as sweet as Tupelo honey She's an angel of the first degree She's as sweet She's the sweetest Tupelo honey Just like honey baby from the sea You can't stop us On the road to freedom You can't keep us Cause our eyes can see Men within sight Men in granite Knights in armor Been on chivalry Tupelo Honey by Van Morrison, a nice choice, Greg. A lot of great songs about honey. We could have just done a whole show on that. I'm going to stay in the sweet vein with a song called I Want Candy. Hit in 1965 by a band called The Strange Loves. I think most people of our generation know it from the 1982 version by Bow Wow Wow. I was talking uh, last week about Jerome Green and the Bo Diddley beat. This is a classic example of the Bo Diddley beat. It's massive in the version that Bow Wow Wow recorded. Uh, and has an added sensuality that The Strange Loves didn't have because you have this uh, attractive young woman, Annabella Lewin, very exotic person, singing it. You know, she wants candy, and it's it's just absolutely cool. But I'm not going to play the Bow Wow Wow version. I want to play the Kevin Shields version that uh, My Bloody Valentine recorded for the Marie Antoinette soundtrack. Here it is. I want candy on Sound Opinions.
was Kevin Shields of My Bloody Valentine remixing Bow Wow Wow's I Want Candy, one of my gustatory musical favorites. That wraps up our celebration of food and music. Greg, what do we got on the show next week? Jim, next week is going to be a great show because we're going to talk about our favorite songs to get behind the wheel and cruise down the highway, our favorite driving songs. Speaking of driving, Greg, the team we drive crazy produces our show every week. Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn, and our executive producer, our fearless leader, Tori Southside Malatia. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. New messages. My name is Jim Angel in Durham, North Carolina. I'm calling about the rock and roll food show. I noted that most of the songs that you chose dealt with food as metaphors or adjectives. And there are a couple songs that I thought really fit the bill in terms of rock and roll, really talking about food. The first one would be Egg Cream by Lou Reed, which is really an ode to that drink. Uh, in the course of the song, he gives a recipe for egg cream. When I was a young man, no big and unnest. A chocolate egg cream was not too nameless. Some you bet chocolate syrup, seltzer water mixed with milk. Stir it up into a heady flow, tasting just like syrup. Second song is uh, Beans and Cornbread by Louis Jordan. In this song, Louis Jordan gets into the psyche of a great food combination and discusses the conflict between beans and cornbread and resolves them in the end uh, by concluding. We go hand in hand. What better homage to food could there be? I really enjoy your show. Thank you. Cause beans and cornbread, they go hand in hand. Oak salad, Hi, guys. Uh, this is Cliff Edders. I just wanted to uh, comment on the music and food episode wanted to uh, having grown up in the South let you know that Hope Salad is indeed real it's uh, kind of a leafy green uh, that grows above ground much like a turnip green and the dangerous thing about it is that uh, the stem and roots are poisonous uh, I could kind of see how Poke Salad Annie could be a little bit of a dangerous woman to know good job on the food and music episode and I like listening to you guys every week Hey guys, this is Percy from New York City. That was the dumbest show ever. Food and rock and roll. I'm a executive in marketing. Next month you should have uh, executives in marketing and what they listen to when their marketing skills are uh, being practiced. That was dumb, but so was your show. Bye. Hey, Jim and Greg. My name is Sheila. I'm from Wilmette, Illinois, and I just want to tell you that I've been listening to your show for a couple of months, and I think it's really phenomenal. I'm a middle-aged suburban housewife, and your show has definitely helped to close that Grand Canyon gap between me and my two teenage kids. But today, when you had the show about food, that was just the best of the best. I changed my plans, put on my apron, and started baking cupcakes while I was listening to it. I really think that your show is wonderful, and you may not want to hear this from me, but I think Sound Opinions rock. Hi, Greg and Jim. This is Kevin Irvine calling from the Albany Park neighborhood of Chicago. Love the uh, show on music and food, which are two of my passions as well. The band and the album that I think really represents that topic so well is Chibomato and their record, Viva La Woman. And Chibomato, as you know, means food crazy or food madness, and the entire record is just songs that have food either as a subject or an analogy. The song that I think was the best food song on the record, though, and the song that really um, just sets a whole different mood is White Pepper Ice Cream. White Pepper Ice Cream. It's Thanks again, and I love the show. Keep it up. 
Hi, my name is Matt Fitzgerald. I'm a glass blower at the Contemporary Studio of Glass Art, and I use music to help me get through long nights of intense heat. It's a different type of cooking, but I consider it cooking when you're working with the flame over 2,000 degrees. Music is great inspiration for playing with fire. No more messages. To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.